looking at verse 1. If you are a visitor here, I want to welcome you again to the New Beginnings Community Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time. Family? So this morning, we are traveling through the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we invite you to join with us on the Bible bus. We do believe in standing in honor of God's holy word. So if you are able to stand, would you please join us as we read the scripture? I need y'all prayers. I think I tweaked my back. So pray for me as I get through it. Amen. 1 Samuel 16. 1 through 13. That's how you know you get old. You just hurt yourself sitting down. <laughs> y'all laughing, but y'all know what I'm talking about. Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, for I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? For if Saul hears it, he'll kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, and then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said to him, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. And so it was that when they came, that he looked at Eliab and said, surely, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen to this and remember, guys, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab. This is son number two, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. 
And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to start today a new series called The Chronicles of David. Part one, chosen by God for the ministry. The Chronicles of David, chosen by God for the ministry. Family, we now enter into the study of the life of David, who is known in the biblical text as a man who was after God's own heart. And when we arrive here, we have to first stop and look over the biblical canvas to examine what happened to King Saul. The last time we were here, you remember that King Saul had disobeyed the Lord. And because of his disobedience and his unwillingness to trust God, the kingdom had now been taken from him. In other words, God had to get a new man for the ministry of king in Israel. Now, this text is significant because we can learn a great deal about what it means to be called by God and what it means to serve in the role as a leader over God's people. For example, there's no way for us to really understand God's mind and his heart when he chooses who he chooses to work for him. In other words, in this text, Brother Alex, he chooses the least of men in the family. First, he chose a little bitty nation called Israel. And then he chose a little bitty tribe called Judah. And then he chose a little bitty shepherd named Jesse. And last of all, the last born of his sons. God has a track record of calling people that nobody would call. When I look at my own life, I can see the same pattern. Can I call Rose? My mother was born 16 out of 17 kids. She lived in Memphis, Tennessee. Her grandparents were the descendants of slaves. My mother was raised as a little country girl, very poor. She married a young carpenter who was also poor. And when they married, they had a ready-made family. Two girls and one son was already here. I came as my mother's firstborn, but my daddy's fourth child. Are you in here? I was a troubled kid, incarcerated early in life, gang involved, misled, and misdirected. But God will call me unto himself out of all of the children. Y'all in here now? Out of seven kids all together, I'm the only one 
God called to be a pastor. He handpicked me to work for him. I wasn't the best. I still ain't the brightest. I sure wasn't the most qualified, but I was his choice. Just like David, I had a call on my life. And today's text is about ministry. When God calls you, you've got a call on your life. Look at somebody and tell them there's a call on your life too. I pray today that as you listen to this text, you can learn and see how others are looked at in the eyes of God. I pray that as a church, we won't become disqualifiers. Can I say that again? I pray that we won't be the one that look at somebody and disqualify them from being used by God. Can I give you the background of the text? Historians tell us that the Lord had instructed Samuel to now go down to the house of Jesse, which was in Bethlehem, the house of bread, and anoint for him Israel's new king. Historians go on to say that Samuel was afraid, and he was afraid because he had just installed the new king. And that he knew that if he went down there, Saul may want to kill him. Story goes on to say that he then goes down anyway in obedience to the Lord and goes to Jesse's house. And he's looking for a king, but he's looking for the wrong man. And as we begin to look at this text and unpack it, that's the narrative I want to work from and dissect for you. Is that okay? I got four quick points and I'll get out of your way. Number one, I want to talk about Samuel's divine assignment. Number two, I want to talk about Samuel's divine action. And then thirdly, I want to look at Samuel's divine approach. And then fourthly, close with looking at Samuel's divine assessment. Y'all know I like to work. Can, can I unpack it today? Samuel's divine assignment. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. God, I miss preaching to y'all. I've been off too long. Amen. <laughs> verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? That's loaded. He says, Seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Get up, fill your horn with oil, and go. Because I'm sending you to Jesse's house, the Bethlehemite. For I provided myself a king from among him sons. Can I unpack it? When we come to this text, we see a divine question and a divine assignment that's asked of God and appointed by God. The question is, for Samuel the prophet, the priest and the judge, Samuel, how long will you mourn for the man that I've rejected? In other words, God is saying, quit crying over the leader that I don't want to use. And according to the previous chapter, Samuel was the one that brought Saul the bad news that God has fired you. 
and he's taken the kingdom from your hands. But now Samuel is so distraught over God's willingness to remove the kingdom from, from, from Saul that he's disturbed and he can't get his life together. Mourning has him in prison. Can I talk about that thing? See, sometimes in the life of the child of God, we too can have this same struggle. Don't y'all get mad at me in here. But sometimes we can love the leaders that God has ordained. But when they fail God and they get disciplined by God, we start to behave like Samuel and almost can't get on with life. Because we put too much stock in a man. Ain't no church like, ain't no hurt like church hurt. A pastor can do something and you'll quit going to church. Because of mourning. God had to ask his prophet a question. Man, how long are you going to mourn over the one I rejected? Can I say some more? This could be fatal in the ministry of the believer. See, what God has said, he has said. And no mourning for their sin or their ministry position will change what God has done and is doing in their life. I want to free somebody today that's still struggling with what your first pastor did. I want to free somebody today that can't get over what your second pastor did. I want to turn somebody loose today that can't get over what your third pastor then did. Am I making sense here? Because when you are stuck in mourning, you ain't free to do ministry. But God's got an assignment for Saul even in his mourning. But guess what? He got to quit mourning in order to do what God has ordained him to do. The Lord said, I've rejected Saul. I wrote myself a note. Saul knew it, Samuel knew it, and the Lord knew it. But the people yet didn't know it. And the people in Ramah were still thinking that Saul was the king. Are you in here now? Saul was still fronting like he was the one in office. But he had been fired. Come on in here. When he got fired, the anointing was gone. People were looking at him, and there was no anointing. But because he was in the office, they thought he was still king. Not only was the anointing gone, but it was gone never to return. Can I say some more? And just like Saul, it is possible that a person may be rejected by God, but still accepted by men. But ultimately, judgment was going to come. Can I turn the light on? Samuel in this verse has to come to grips, brothers and sisters, with what Saul has done. And what the Lord has said. And he, Samuel, has got to be okay with the will of the Lord. In spite of what he feels about Saul the man. 
Okay, let me say it another way. But you know that God is still today removing men from families who have failed to be godly fathers. God is still removing mothers today who have failed to be godly mothers. God is still removing pastors today who have failed to obey his word. God is still removing deacons today who have failed to be godly servants. God is still removing leaders in the church today who want to do what they want to do instead of what God says he won't done. It's his church. It's his ministry. Where you get off thinking it's your ministry. And when he remove it, it's gone. I'm, 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 I'm trembling in this text today, brothers and sisters, because we should always remember that God don't need you to do anything. Don't get it twisted like you can't be replaced. Huh? Y'all going to talk to me? We should always remember that if he lets you do anything for him. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. Preach it all today. If he lets you do anything for him, it's more than you deserve. Do something with your attitude about I serve when I want to serve. Fool around and get rejected by God. You won't have nobody to do ministry to. Can I turn the light on? Saul didn't deserve to be king. God chose him to be king. But when he disobeyed, his ministry was over. Somebody holler over. So don't mourn too long, family, over what God has rejected. If God told you to let that man go, let him go. You trying to hold on to a fool who don't want to do what God wants you to do. If God told you to let that woman go, let her go. Why, he's rejected her because she won't obey his word. If God told you to let those friends go, let them go. Don't mourn too long over what God has rejected. Can I get on with the, with the text? That's just verse 1. In verse B of part 1, he's verse 1, he says, Now fill up your horn with oil and go. Y'all catch that? Because I'm sending you just to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself, oh, hey, a king among his sons. Let me unpack it. Here we discover that the second part of Samuel's assignment was to prepare for the spiritual work of the ministry. You know it's possible to do ministry without the spirit. And here, Samuel has got to get back in the will of God and engage with the spiritual work 
that the office of the prophet had to do in the land. Nobody could anoint a king but the prophet. Nobody could appoint him in the leadership but the prophet. And if Samuel is going to be back in the will of God, doing the ministry that God called him to, he got to obey him spiritually. Can I say some more? Prepare your mind to do the work of the Lord, he says. Then prepare yourself for a journey. What you mean, Pastor? You got to go down to Bethlehem. And notice this. I wrote myself a note here. I keep coming back to this because I've been just arrested by it. Samuel had to shake off his mourning because his mourning was getting the best of him. In other words, he had to get a grip on his mind and now ready himself to do only what he could do as the prophet, the priest, and the judge of Israel. Samuel had to prepare to go and discover what the Lord needed him to discover. He was to go to the house of Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, and look for the Lord's king. Can I turn the light on? He wasn't looking for the people's king. That was with Saul. But God said, I'm going to make myself a king. This king ain't got nothing to do with what Israel was looking for. If y'all go back with me, those Bible students here, remember, they rejected uh, Samuel as a judge because they wanted a king like the rest of the nations. They wanted somebody tall, dark, and handsome. And God said, okay, I'm going to give y'all Saul. And when they found him, he was hiding in the stuff. Y'all in here? But God says, I got it on my own, king, now. I know what my people need. Hey, help me, Holy Ghost. And I'm going to give them the king for my heart. So, so here, Samuel is to get up, go down to Bethlehem and look for the Lord's king. I wrote myself a note here, Sister Wilson. He wasn't to go into the palace and look for a king. He wasn't to go into all the tribes. He was to go to the least of them to the smallest city of Israel. And he was to look for the one that had all God had already chosen for himself. But this ain't easy. Deacon Lord, this was no, no small task. No, this was no small thing because it was on the Lord's heart. Can I say some more? Ministry is on the Lord's heart. It's what the Lord wants done. And when you, this is how you know when you've been called, shown enough to ministry, it's bigger than you. It's harder than anything you've ever done. And you can't do it without him. That there's some stuff you can do on your own strength and you don't need God to do. But when God, shown enough, gives you an assignment, it's bigger than you. Can I say some more? Samuel, if he was going to be in the will of God, he was going to have to uh, obey God in every area of his life. This is, this is crazy right here, but a new king meant that the removal of the king had already taken place. 
And so he had to obey God in this assignment and ordain the one that God had all called to serve him and the people of Israel, even though he didn't know who he was. Let me unpack some more of it. Because today, daughter Lokalani, I think God may be calling somebody to change kings. Today, he may want you to remove somebody who's on the throne of your heart. Today, he may want you to put a new king on the throne of your heart. Today, he may want you to let go of the bad king and put the one he has ordained to be over every area in your life. Can I say some more? When Samuel hears this, guess what he does? He questions his assignment. Now, don't get mad at Samuel. You've been there. Listen to what Samuel tells the sovereign God of the universe. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he's going to kill me. Now, you and I, 21st century readers, we're like, what are you tripping up for? This is Yahweh talking to you. You ain't got no, no worries with Saul, but in his day, the king was the king. He was the sovereign ruler over the nation. And he understood that if he got caught in the region ordaining a new king, while the pseudo-king was still on the throne in position, it could cause treason. So what happened in his ministry assignment, Saul now takes on fear. And doing the thing that God had called him to do. I'm trying to put my weight on it. Y'all in here? Look, fear is a monster. Fear will keep you from obeying the word of the Lord. Fear will keep you in prison and not accomplishing that which God has called you to do. Because you are too worried about the kings of the world. Instead of what God has called you to do. But I ain't mad at him. Samuel had a legitimate fear. He had a legitimate case. He had a legitimate reason to be concerned. Can I tell you why? Brother's life was on the line. His welfare was at stake. His health and safety was in jeopardy. Because if the former king catches him, it's a wrap for his ministry. Tell somebody, you can't preach dead. Somebody looking at me today, God has called you maybe to study, maybe to do something great, maybe to go to another country, maybe to do something astronomical, but fear has you in a headlock. Fear of what am I going to eat? Fear of where am I going to stay? Fear of who's going to take care of my babies? How are my kids going to get to school? Fear, 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 fear has you headlocked and you are afraid. Just like Samuel was dangerous what God was calling him to do. Can I park the car and waddle right there for a minute? You know, you know that ministry today is dangerous? No, no, you, you don't know that. Ministry today can call for your life. 
They shooting pastors in pulpits because they've been called by God to preach the gospel. They coming in churches and shooting parishioners because they love the Lord with every area of their life. Ministry is dangerous, and Samuel knew that Saul was crazy. But can I tell you something? That is true. It's true, the threats, like Saul's threat or like Samuel's threat of Saul, it's also true for you. See, when those former kings in your life get the word that you want to unseat them, they just might come after you. I ain't got no help in here. Let me come down your road. It's true that when that former crazy girlfriend find out you got a new one she might do something crazy to try to kill you y'all ain't in here when that former husband finds out you got a new husband he might lose it and try to hurt you and the new one when we look at Saul you're going to see in a few weeks he going to get crazy the old king going to try to take out the new king in a desperate attempt to destroy his life because God has called him to a new ministry. It's a living word. I stopped by to tell you today, family, that trouble, it comes with the ministry. No, you can't be a sissy and be a Christian. Can't be a punk and be a believer. Can't be a coward and walk with Jesus. Cowards don't need God. Are you with me here? No, true believers need God. Because this means that your life is on the line. You want something to live and die for? Man up and become a Christian. You need to know today that trouble comes in every assignment. Danger is always lurking for those who are on a mission with God. You got to face your haters and you got to deal with the wrath of the ungodly. Because it comes with Christianity. I want y'all to quit cowering down because the world is against you. Quit trying to be carnal and fit in because you are afraid. Just face fear head on. Can I put my weight on it? Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. The two don't go together. They like oil and water. I can't say I believe and then I'm afraid. You got to choose up in here what you going to do. You going to believe or you going to be afraid. Where are my soldiers at? Where are my soldiers at? Listen, young people in here, don't be afraid of the world. They post to shoot at you. They post to talk about you. They post to size you up. They supposed to question your walk and your integrity. That comes with the hood that you represent. In my neighborhood, Christians always get shot. 
in my neighborhood, Christians always get falsely accused. In my neighborhood, Christians always get jacked because of the cross that we carry. But I found out something in my 51 years of living. The more they talk about me, the crazier I get for him. The more they lie on me, the bolder I get with my witness. The more they talk about me, the crazier my sermons get. The more they rise up, the taller I stand. Can I get some help in here? Tell somebody, dress up for the battle. Because it's real. That was point number one. Samuel's assignment. Ask your neighbor, did you get any of that? Did you get any? Let me look at Samuel's divine action. The text says that the Lord told Samuel, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And then invite Jesse, Samuel, to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. Can I work a little right here? When we arrive at this next portion of the text, we see Samuel called to action. Called to action according, watch this now, to the Lord's command. God told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a heifer, a small cow, a, a sacrifice. And then as you're going down, I want you to tell Jesse and tell the people you've come to worship. Y'all see that? You should circle that. I want you to invite him and his family to worship. Don't go down and tell them right away, I'm looking for a king. Call them to worship. Because I want to examine them in worship. Can I work right here? He says, and when you do this, Brother Dave, he said, uh, I'm going to give you the rest of the instruction. Here's what I noticed. This ain't in my note. But God, whenever God calls you to ministry and calls you to action, he never gives you the full plan. Am I right, Bruce? He shows you a little, tells you what he wants you to do, but you got to do that first before you get the rest of the instruction. This ain't in my notes, but some of y'all stuck because you ain't did the first thing. All right, I ain't going to go there. Here we see what I call as a unique action for Samuel. He was first to go down, watch this now, and organize the worship service. And in the worship service, he was to offer the Lord an offering of sacrifice. The sacrifice tongue is to say that the Lord, or to say rather, thank you to the Lord 
for all that the Lord has done, is doing, and is about to do. Can I say some more? This sacrifice, Reverend White, is to watch this, is to be brought by the priest. Huh? Sacrificed by the priest and offered by the priest on behalf of Jesse and the tribe that he's from. That's a reversal in the sacrificial process. The priest never had to bring a sacrifice to the worship experience. The people brought the sacrifices, gave them to the priests. But God's doing a new thing in Bethlehem. And his priest is now going to be the leader in the worship experience. Okay, y'all ain't impressed, so let me keep going. Look, Jesse and them, yeah, they don't know what God is doing. <laughs> they, they don't know where a sacrifice is coming from. They don't even know, Mason, that they've been chosen by God. They don't know that God is getting ready to select from their family the next king of Israel. They don't have a clue, Sister Garcia, that the oil is about to flow in their house. Good God Almighty. They don't know that God is fulfilling his own will for the nation. They don't know that the king Saul has been removed. All they know is that Samuel has come. And as the priest, he summoned them to the worship experience. Can I park the car right there and unpack it? Can I tell you today that God still moves to you in worship? I'm sorry, y'all, but I can't be like some people. I can't be late to worship. I don't want to walk in after they didn't already pray. I don't want to miss the call to worship scripture. Don't, don't want, Sister Kathy, I don't want to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the sermon. Because I might miss something in worship. Can I tell you today that the anointing of God still runs through the house in the course of worship. Football, I love football, I love basketball, but I love worship more. Don't want to be in the stadium with screaming fans on Sunday morning. I want to be in the house of God with screaming saints. While the anointing is flowing and the worship is hot. Maybe it's just me, but I'm drunk on worship. My week don't go right if I ain't came and blessed the Lord. Oh, my soul. Can't lay down on Sunday night if I ain't heard a word from on high. Messes up my Monday and jacks up my Tuesday and Cripples my Wednesday if they didn't preach to me on Sunday. I need worship. I'm a junkie like that, amen. I think that was old Justin Bieber said, I'm a junkie for your love. I'm a Can I tell you though, that the Lord does his best work in the hearts of his people in worship. Guess where your attitudes get fixed? In worship. Guess where your issues go away? In worship. 
Guess where those bad thoughts get disseminated? In worship. Guess where your thinking gets regulated? In worship. That's why you need the house of God. That's why you can't worship at home looking at TV. I'm just talking about. Can I tell you that you never know who the Lord, Sister Trina, going to touch in the worship experience. I like to watch New Beginnings worship because one day a Sister Kathy hollered, I love the Lord. The next day is Mother Ross dancing her step in the middle of the aisle. I'm talking to you. Sometimes it's Reverend Mason crying and yelling, say some more, stay right there, work, Reverend, work. Am I talking to you here? You never know who worship going to touch in the house of the Lord. It's critical Samuel's got to make his way to Jesse's house. Because God is going to fulfill his divine assignment for the preacher's life. As he blesses the house of Jesse. Y'all in here with me? Samuel has to make his way, Alex, down to Jesse's house. If he's going to obey the will of the Lord for his life. Zuniga, Samuel has got to get down to Bethlehem, son, and worship there. Watch this. If he's going to see the new king. (laughs) Yes. He's got to get there. And guess what, y'all? If you want to see God move in your ministry, you got to obey him in the assignment that the Lord has given to you. Y'all in here? If you want to see God move in your ministry, you got to join him in the worship service. And the miracle will be yours. If you want to see God move in your ministry, Carmen, darling, we got to trust in what he's telling us to do and follow his every command, and then you will see what nobody else can see. The Lord said to Samuel, do as I tell you. Watch this now. And I'll show you what I want you to do. Then he says, you shall anoint For me, the one I named to you. Notice worship came first. After he worshiped and sacrificed, then the heavens would open his eyes. And he would see what's next in the assignment for God. Let me park the car because I think I may have omitted this. Brother Sean, I think you'll appreciate it though. Jesse had a king in his house. And he didn't even know it. Think with me, parents. Jesse had a leader of a nation in his house. And he didn't even know it. Jesse had a ruler under his roof. And he didn't even know it. Sometimes, Brown, we can be, yeah, living with greatness. But we treat them like pagans. Sometimes God's gift is right in front of you, but you can't see it because you haven't worshipped. Sometimes God's gift is so close, it even looks like you. But you'll never see what God sees unless 
is being revealed to you. However, on this day, a blessing was coming to the house of Jesse. On this day, a miracle from the Lord was going to rest on his house. Tell somebody on this day. The kingdom of Israel was going to be replaced and now put under the care of Jesse's baby. On this day, history was going to be made. And Jesse's baby boy was going to be exalted. Can I ask you a question? Who's living in your house? Or better yet, do you know who's living in your house? Let me give you my third point. I talked about Samuel's divine assignment, Samuel's divine action. Now let me give you his divine approach. Are you in here? Can I borrow some minutes from next Sunday? I'll give them back to you. Verse 4 of the text says, so Samuel did what the Lord had said. Tell somebody, he obeyed. He obeyed. And he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then, watch this, he consecrated Jesse and his sons, not the elders of Bethlehem. And he invited them all to the sacrifice. Notice this. When we come to this portion of the text, brothers and sisters, we see Samuel leading in ministry with what I call, Garcia, is great integrity and carefulness. Let me show you what I'm talking about. His approach in how he handles this assignment is done in what I call as a holy manner. When he arrives, he's met by the elders of the town because he's Samuel. Can I unpack that? He's the prophet of the nations. He's their last and longest running judge. He's also the priest that reigns in Ramah. And when he shows up, it's no light manner. He is a national figure. In other words, his title is well known. And he comes to this little bitty town like Sanger. But he's the prophet of the United States. Y'all with me here? So when they see him and he drives up, they're like, did we do something wrong? Why has the prophet come unannounced? Whenever the prophet comes unannounced, problems soon to follow. Are you with me here? Can I park the car right there? I like this because it implies that Bethlehem had a high regard for the office of the preacher. They weren't like Fresno. Well, you disrespect the office of the pastor, calling him your homeboy. Calling him by his first name. Disrespecting his wife and his kids. This city had a high regard for the office of the prophet. Because they understood that when he spoke, he spoke from God. This ain't your homeboy. I ain't your homeboy. I ain't your friend. I'm the one that intercedes for your soul when you misbehave. Me. 
when he shows up and he rides at Bethlehem, it's a big thing. This ain't normal. This ain't common. And this wasn't taken lightly or taken for granted. But I like what he does. The text says he assures them that he's there, watch this now, for peaceful activity. I've come peaceably. And then he invites them to participate in the worship service. Y'all in here? So now you got the elders involved of the town, which implies that the whole town would have been there and come out for the prophet to lead in the worship experience. And then he looks for Jesse, who is one little family in the town of Bethlehem. Y'all in here? And he tells Jesse to come with your boys and consecrate yourselves for worship. Now watch this. If Jesse wasn't a leader in Bethlehem, he has now recently got the eyes of the prophet. And all the people in the city, mama, are looking now to understand what is going on in Jesse's house. Is Jesse in trouble? Why has the prophet called them? He's got to consecrate them before the worship service. Something is about to happen. Are you in here now? Tell somebody, don't read the word too fast. You might miss something. What he does is he now prepares them for a special place in the service. Why? Because he knows that God wants to do something special in Jesse's house. Samuel does. He just doesn't know who the who is. Can I unpack it? Samuel was teaching me new beginnings in this verse how to have a sacred approach to the holy things of God. He's teaching me, family, that you just can't do what you want to do in the Lord's ministry. Samuel is teaching me that just because the culture has watered down the pulpit, that ain't for me to do. Y'all in here? Yeah, yeah. Samuel is teaching me that if God didn't order you to do it, you better not do it. Samuel is teaching me that when you get to the place where he has sent you to go, first thing you got to do is invite others who are there to worship with you so that they too can see the miracle of God. It's not just for me to see God's miracle in this house, but it's for me to invite you to corporate prayer, to life groups, to Bible study, to Super Saturday, so you can see the miracle of God. He already told me what he want to do in here. I just don't know to who. Samuel's teaching me that nothing about ministry, nothing about this church is about me. Oh, y'all didn't hear me. You missed it. Some of y'all think just because my face is on the, on, the, on the website, my face is on the banner, my face is on the program, I think it's about me. No. I'm responsible. If something happened, it's my name. They ain't coming to get none of y'all. I'm the one got to stand before God on that day. And give an account for everything that's been done in this house. I know some of y'all think I'm a control freak. 
He got to make all the decisions. No, I want to know what you decide on. If it's going to get me in trouble, I want to know what I'm getting in trouble for. Come on in here. Every dime I got to give an account for. I'm responsible like Samuel was responsible. He's teaching me in this text again that nothing about this ministry is about you, but it's about God and the people that God wants to minister to. Can I turn the light on? See, God wanted to minister in Bethlehem, and he was going to use Samuel to do it. God wanted to minister in Jesse's house, and he was going to use Samuel to do it. He wanted to select himself a king, and Samuel was going to do the work of the Lord so that the Lord's work would be done. He had the right approach to the divine assignment. That he received from the Lord. That would have been good if I could have closed the text right there. But the Lord gave me one more point. See, he showed us Samuel's divine assignment. He showed us his divine action. And then he showed us his divine approach. But when we come to his divine assessment, he almost messes up. Can I tell you it? The text says... After they worship in verse 6, so it was, Sister Crawford, that when they came to Samuel, that he looked, daughter, at Eliab. This is the oldest son of Jesse. And he says, surely the Lord's anointing is standing right here. Can I paraphrase? This is a good looking boy. This the oldest? This got to be the one God is talking about. And the Lord interrupted his thoughts. Look what he said in verse 7. Do not look on his appearance or his physical stature because I've refused him. Good God Almighty. For the Lord, Samuel, does not see as a man sees for a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I done made a whole lot of mistakes in ministry. Because I chose people that I thought looked like. They were the ones the Lord could use to help me do what he called me to do. No, y'all didn't hear me. I've been doing this a long time and I done made a lot of mistakes. I done put the wrong people over the choir. I done put the wrong people on the deacon board. The wrong people I trust as preachers. The wrong people I travel with around the world because I thought they looked like the right candidates. I had to learn and go back and repent from this text and learn, God, what are you saying to me? He said, I don't look at the outward appearance, Wilson. I look at the heart. Can I say some more in here? The text gets interesting that after he rejects Jesse's first son, Jesse goes and gets the next second good looking one. Shama. Passed him by. Said, no, the Lord hadn't chosen this one either. Verse 9. Then Jesse, verse 10, made seven of his sons 
passed before Samuel. And he said, the Lord ain't chose none of these. Can I unpack it here? When we come to this particular verse, again, I mentioned he almost made a mistake. And it's here that we discover the secret about choosing people to work with you in ministry. Uh-uh, come on, lean in, y'all. I know you're tired. If God has called you to do something, be careful who you choose. Just because they sing the loudest don't mean they need to lead the song. Just because they dress the best, they got a good job downtown, don't mean they'll be a good trustee. Just because they look like they faithful, don't mean they'll be a good deacon in the church. Don't choose based on the outward appearance. I wish somebody would be honest with me in here and say, I chose a 10, but when I got her home, she was a 1. Y'all don't want to be honest. Y'all don't want to be honest. Some of y'all know you've been married two times. Okay, I ain't mad at you because you got the first one wrong. Chose them for their outward appearance. And got home and had an enemy you had to live with. Y'all don't want to be honest in here. No, we got a problem with dating for our physical features. Y'all ain't going to let me do it. All I'm trying to tell you is here we discover that God and man don't choose the same type of ministers. Maybe the first pastor you chose, you chose for the wrong reason. Maybe you chose the one that had the loudest noise going on or the latest fads going on. Maybe he wasn't the one for you. It's here that we discover God's standard is not man's standard. It's here that we discover that God doesn't select a man because he's healthy, wealthy, or wise. God doesn't choose a man because he's the firstborn or because he's eloquent. Samuel had to learn not to make the mistake of evaluating men by their physical gifts. He's trying to tell somebody, Sister Bunch, that God is looking for servants with the right heart to minister to his bride. Y'all catch me right there? God is looking for servants, Brother Reuben, who has a heart for his people. God is looking for people he can use whose heart is right. He's not looking for money grabbers, fame grabbers, pride, and, and those who want to sit high and look low and fleece off of God's people. He's looking for shepherds who has his heart for his people. New beginners, I better say this because I might not come down this road again. You better praise God for the pastor you got. I ain't after nothing you got. You ain't got nothing I want. You must ain't seen my wife. 
You must ain't seen my children. You ain't got nothing I want. I'm here because I love the Lord. And he's called me to pastor this church. No matter how much you disobey. No matter how much you hate what I say. You can't move me because I can't be moved. I don't work for you. And like Bernie Mac said, I ain't scared of y'all. I ain't scared of y'all. I love the Lord. And that's why I'm at my post. And I hope that everything I do comes from the heart of God. Am I talking to you today? Listen, listen, listen. God is looking for people who has his heart. Not for ambitious people. You don't get in the ministry, Bruce, for ambition. You don't get in the ministry for money. You don't get in the ministry to publish books and movies and all that. You get in the ministry because God's heart is your heart. I need to tell somebody here today, if you're wondering why the Lord won't use you, you need to check your heart and look at what's inside of you. I need to tell somebody today, if you wonder why your ministry ain't gone no higher, you need to examine your heart. Maybe your heart ain't right with God. If you're wondering why the Lord won't promote you, check your heart. <laughs> if you wonder why the Lord won't move in your life, it's probably because you got a heart issue. Well, I got to leave you now. But as I come to the conclusion, the Bible says, after Jesse brought the boys through, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the young men? Seven of them. Then Jesse said, well, there is one more little one. But he out there in the field with the sheep. And then Samuel said, bring him here. Because we can't sit down at the table until the uninvited guest makes his appearance. And the text says that he brought him in. And he was ruddy. It means he was reddish. He was a redhead. Are you in here? And he had bright eyes. And the text says, and he was good looking. Can I work right here? A friend in my library said to me, Brother Angelus, don't miss what the text just said. I said, what did he say? He said, uh, when Jesse didn't bring David forward, the Holy Spirit had to summon him. See, to Jesse, he was just a baby boy keeping the sheep in the field. And he shouldn't come in to the worship experience. You know, Jesse was like some of our grandparents. Kids is to be seen and not heard. But they was wrong and Jesse wrong too. This was the one God came for. 
And Jesse was about to miss the divine plan of God because he wrote off the one God was looking for. Can I say some more? God had a plan for David. And nobody would dine at the table until God's king came to the table. While he was in the fields, he was keeping sheep. And, and his daddy thought, yes, it's more important that he keep working instead of coming to worship. Oh, I'm finna get there. And some of y'all the same way. You will tell your kids it's more important to work on Sunday than to worship at the Lord's house. Oh, yes, you will, and I don't care if you get mad. I'll take you to the basketball game, to the football game on Sunday morning because it's more important for you to get a goal instead of worship. Hello, is this thing on? It's more important for you to spend the night with your girl, with your boy, instead of making your way to worship. Because you don't think God has a plan for your kid. All I'm trying to tell you is sometimes we overlook the ones who the Lord is dealing with. Jesse didn't know what God was doing to his boy. Out in the field watching the sheep. Sometimes we want the ones with the most training. And the ones who stand the tallest. And the ones who are on the inside. But God has chose himself somebody on the outside. <laughs> yeah. I like this, Tay. Can you imagine the conversations David was having in the field with God? My friend said to me, it was clear that Jesse forgot about David because he was just a boy. He said it was clear, Wilson, that Jesse forgot about him because his job was more important than worshiping. It was clear that Jesse forgot about him because he didn't think that his son was no way ready to be a king. Then my friend said this to me. I'll never forget. He said, Wilson, many a great genius lies buried in obscurity and contempt. Many a great genius lies buried in some remote place because of contempt. People don't think there'll be nothing. But God is the one who exalts the one who's in obscurity. Kept looking at this and turning it over in my head, Sister Wilson, and I'm trying to hump it off. But David was keeping the sheep, though it was time for the sacrifice. He wasn't even invited to worship. He wasn't invited to the table. His own daddy had overlooked him. However, the Holy Spirit was working at the table. I like that. I'm so glad. So glad. God was working at my life. So my mom and them wrote me off. Cousin and them wrote me off. That boy ain't going to be nothing. He ain't nothing but a thug. Let him go, Curly. Just let him go. He ain't going to be nothing. Y'all know you didn't have the same conversation. 
But God was working at the table. And I like this. I like this, Dana, that God made Samuel ask to go get David. Y'all catch that? The Spirit of God tugged on Samuel and said, no, there's one more boy here out in the field. Go get him. Because we can't sit down until he comes. Samuel knew there was a king in Jesse's house. And this had to be him. Now, like, look at this text. And I'm trying to get out of here. I promise you I am. He says, we can't sit down to meet until he comes from the outside. In other words, in other words, he wasn't invited to the table. But now the table can't be seated until he show up. And as a guest, he had to come just like he was. Remember, the other boys got consecrated. He didn't have time for consecration. He had to answer the call just like he was. He came to the table, Brown, right from the field. He came to the table smelling like the sheep. He came, oh, here it is. He came to the table with khakis and a blue rag. He came to the table with a staff in his hand. He came to the table just like he was. He looked different when he showed up. Can I tell you why? The text says that he described his continence. He was ruddy. Little, little red guy. And his eyes were bright. And he was good looking. Can I unpack that? See, by him being out in the field with the sheep, God kept his radiance upon him. Yeah, 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 yeah. In other words, his complexion wasn't tainted by the weather. His hair was kept by the dew that fell where the sheep were. And his eyes were aglow because he kept them fixed on the Lord. Y'all in here now? He was good looking because he laid before the Lord. I wrote myself a note here. Take the sun hadn't hardened his skin. The wind hadn't chapped his body. And the glow of the sun made his eyes sparkle with enthusiasm. Why? Because he had been with the Lord. His innocence was on display. And he was God's king that God had tucked away in obscurity. Well, I got to leave you now. But when David appeared, God told Samuel, this is him. This is my son and who I'm well pleased. Oh, did you catch that right there? And he wasn't son number seven. He was son number eight. And the letter eight or number eight in the Bible is the number for a new beginning. And what God had in store for Israel was a new beginning with a brand new king. And when Samuel heard this, the Bible says that the horn tilted and the horn poured out all over David. Samuel's ministry was almost complete. And as I look in the text and close on my way to my seat, it's not likely 
that David or Jesse or the boys understood what that happened that day. It's not likely that they understood the mysterious anointing of David as king. But God would, through the corridors of time, reveal his plan for a nation and his plan for a boy and his plan for the salvation of the world through the anointing of David as king. Uh, there's something special about obscurity that the Lord uses for all of his kings. Yeah, when I looked real good at the text, I can see David as a type of Christ in the New Testament. David was called out of obscurity. And Jesus was called out of obscurity. Yeah. David was called as one born out of due time. And Jesus was called as one born out of due time. There's something divine about David's appointment. And there's something divine about Jesus' appointment. Yeah. When David got called, God used the prophet to announce that this is the one who's the king of Israel. When Jesus got called, God used the prophet to proclaim in the wilderness that this is the Messiah. Can I say some more? When David got called, he was called out of Bethlehem. And when Jesus got called, he was called out of Bethlehem. When David got called, he was called out of poverty and perfected his humility. And Jesus, when he got called, had nowhere to lay his head and was perfected by the divine work of the Lord. I'm closing now when I tell you that Jesus is the son of David. The Messiah who came to save the world. He was called to be the new king of Israel. And as the king of Israel, he would lay down his life for the sins of the world. As the king, he would build a new kingdom that was not of this world. And as the king, he would have all his subjects to receive eternal life. As my king, he would endure warfare to save my soul. And as my king, he laid down his life that I might live. Can I say some more? As my king, he traded his heavenly crown for a crown of thorns. He gave up his scepter for nails in his hands. Gave up his staff for a side to be pierced that my sins might be washed away. And as a king he died a criminal's death but rose a victor's resurrection I'm glad today I serve the most high king I'm glad today he lives he lives he lives he lives, 
my God lives. And as a king, he's coming back again to get all of his subjects. I'm one of his subjects. I'm his number one fan. When he cracks the sky, you're going to hear me say, right on, King Jesus. No man cannot hinder thee. I can't wait to see the brightness of his eyes. Can't wait to see the glory of his hair. Can't wait to see the nail prints in his hands. Can't wait to see the armies that ride with him. I don't know how you feel about him, but I'm waiting on the second coming of my king. Do I have any witnesses here that say I'm going to ride with Jesus? Is there anybody over here will ride or die with Jesus? Is there anybody over here that say I'm down with Christianity? I'm mobbing with the saints of glory. They ask me, are you still banging? Of course I'm still banging. I'm riding with Jesus. I'm one of his number one followers. I'm down to the day I die. Till the wheels fall off. Till the trouble comes in the hood. Till they take my life. Till they incarcerate me. I'm down with the king of glory. I switched sides. I used to run with Satan. But the pay wasn't no good. But now, I said now, I'm on the Lord's side, and the pay is much better. Can I tell you why? On this side, I can sleep at night. On this side, I got peace that flow like a river. On this side, I got joy, unspeakable joy. On this side, I got homies that walk like me, talk like me, pray like me, live like me, ain't trying to do me. On this side, I got love I never knew before. On this side, I got angels that got my back. On this side, I got power, power, power unspeakable power on this side got authority can walk on trouble can tell the storms to cease on this side I got some say so on this side my swag is a little better on this side I got a name that's in written in glory a name that nobody else knows I got a home in that kingdom ain't that good news say yeah, yeah. say yeah. yeah say yeah don't fool me now are you down with Jesus where the Christians at where the Christians at shake somebody hand tell them I love the Lord I love the Lord he heard my cry give the Lord some praise